Good morning, this is Tyler. Welcome to Econ 1500 Macroeconomics, the lecture for Chapter 8. Where, uh, as we mentioned earlier, I believe, in one of the earlier lectures, that in macroeconomics we're concerned with, among other things, th the behavior of three macroeconomic variables primarily. The behavior of national output, which we know now, we use the concept of real GDP to measure output, but we're also interested in inflation and unemployment the behavior of those two variables. Chapter f 8 is uh, is describing how we measure these latter two variables, unemployment and inflation, and uh, uh, a little bit about uh, what they mean. Not, not, not terribly difficult, a lot of descriptive material in, in Chapter 8. Uh, before we even get that far, though, call up your slides, and let's look at... Uh, Go to go to slide five because also in chapter eight we need to know the various phases of the business cycle. Macroeconomics is concerned with explaining this business cycle you see here in slide five. Many macroeconomic variables are cyclical. Uh, here in, in, in slide five we're looking at on the vertical axis real GDP, and we see that real GDP. Uh, is, does not grow at a constant rate. Now this is a, a hypothetical example here, but in the previous slides it shows that real GDP does not grow at a constant rate. It goes through these cycles. And the four phases of the business cycle are the expansion when real GDP is rising, a peak followed by a contraction when uh, otherwise we, we call a contraction a recession. Uh, when we hit bottom it's called a trough and then followed by yet another expansion. Uh, again, much of macroeconomics is trying to explain this business cycle and understanding the role of government and the Federal Reserve in trying to mitigate the business cycle. Well, then jumping in, uh, jumping into there's a little bit of discussion about economic indicators. I'm going to lead lagging, coincident, and leading economic indicators. Uh, so let's pick up with slide nine. And as I say that, my slides, slide, actually slide 10. Uh, unemployment, you've all heard about the unemployment rate. But there are some subtleties. The unemployment rate, or the rate of unemployment, is uh, the ratio of the number of people unemployed relative to the number of people in the labor force. So it's a proportion of people that are unemployed uh, compared to those in the labor force. But you have to understand what it means to be in the labor force. There are lots of people out there that don't have jobs, but they're not unemployed. To be unemployed, first, you have to be in the labor force. And then if you're in the labor force, that's not the same thing as working. If you're in the labor force, there are two possibilities. Either you're employed or you're unemployed. Let me say that again. You cannot be unemployed unless you're in the labor force. So the unemployed people are those that are in the labor force but don't have a job. If you're just not working, you may or may not be unemployed. You may not be in the labor force. We have homemakers. We have students. We have children. All kinds of people aren't in the labor force. So as you see here in slide 10, it defines the labor force. Is we start with all U.S. residents uh, over the age of 16 who are not institutionalized. In other words, are not in a uh, sane asylum. Uh, who are looking for work. And that's a little bit deceptive there. Really, it's who are looking for work or are working. That slide's not really complete. 
if you're if you're working, you're in the labor force. So in other words, in order to be in the labor force, you at least have to be 16 or over, or, or over the age of 16, uh, and either working or looking for work. You divide that, you you take that labor force, and and of that, of those that are in the labor force, then those that aren't working are un are unemployed, and the unemployment rate rate is that ratio. So yeah, you, you, know, you, you think about it. One. Uh, Let's take a, uh, a college student. Let me just let's think a couple of hypothetical examples and think to yourself: Do they are they unemployed, or are they not? Are they simply just not in the labor force? Uh, a homemaker who stays home, doesn't isn't looking for work, doesn't have a job. Is that person unemployed? The answer is no. They're not in the labor force. A college student, tends class full time, doesn't have a job. Is over 16. It's not institutionalized. U.S. resident isn't looking for work. Just focusing on his or her studies. Is that person unemployed? No, they're not in the labor force. Now let's say that that college student nears the end of his senior year and it, at that point starts looking for a job. That instant he starts looking for a job. Let's say he doesn't have a job, but he's looking for a job. Is that person in the labor force? The answer is yes. Is he unemployed? Well, he's not working, so yes, he is. That's the idea. Uh, well, skipping to slide 13, and again, I'm just kind of picking up some high points here and some things that some people struggle with. I'll let you let you read much of this, but there are, we think of four different types of unemployment, and this is important. There. Are, uh, there are some types of unemployment that are always with us, just given the nature of the economy. And on slide 13, that's the first three types of unemployment listed. There's seasonal unemployment. For example, in agriculture, we may have folks in California that are, that are uh, well, you know, up in Idaho, that have a job processing potatoes, but when the potato harvest is over and they've processed all the potatoes, maybe they're laid off. So those per people... Uh, if they go out and look for other jobs or unemployed. And then maybe it'll pick up again later in agriculture will be some other type of employment. Or in construction where it shuts down over the winter. So there's a side of seasonal unemployment given the, just the nature of some industries are seasonal. Then there's friction, what we call frictional unemployment. Again, it's always with us. That's why we always have some people unemployed. Because of seasonal reasons and because of frictional reason. It takes time for workers to find each other and employers to find each other. When you graduate from college, uh, the minute you start looking for a job, you're unemployed. But you may not take the first job offered. You want to look around for a while. It, it, it takes time to discover information uh, about jobs. Now, the Internet and the, the information that's made available about jobs via the Internet probably decreases unemployment due to frictional reasons. Uh, but it's still, there still is always frictional unemployment as people are between jobs, looking for jobs, just trying to match up their skills with the right job. There's also unemployment caused by structural changes in the economy. At any given point in time, there are industries that are expanding, say construction uh, in many parts of the country in recent years, or or in, in banking or finance. At the same time, there's industries declining, maybe automobiles still. 
and uh, that's the nature of a dynamic economy. Their industries grow and industries die. There will be new industries developed in the years to come, and there will be industries we now have that will collapse. We don't have much of a construction, in, uh, an industry building wagons anymore. I mean, that it's, there's nothing wrong with industries dying as, as technology and taste change. But this causes unemployment because the people who are laid off in the dying industries may or may not have the skills that are needed in the growing industries, and they have to be retrained. There's always that going on, so that's structural. Those three types of unemployment that are listed there at first are sometimes referred to as natural, are, are, are causes of natural unemployment because they're always with us. That's why the unemployment rate will never be zero because we'll always have seasonal, frictional, and structural unemployment. Again, these three are called together causes of natural unemployment. Now, cyclical un unemployment is a different animal. Cyclical unemployment is caused by the contraction, uh, part of the business cycles we saw earlier. Uh, contractions are not always with us. They're abnormal. Our economy is normally growing and creating jobs. Only every once in a while do we have recessions where across the, uh, the breadth of the economy people are being laid off. So cyclical unemployment is not always with us, therefore it is not part of natural unemployment. Now if we skip ahead to slide 15, well the slide 14 just shows you the unemployment rate that it, it, it changes over time. And right now the United States unemployment rates was down to 5%, now it's bumped back up to 5.1%, uh, relatively low as a result of uh, we've been in, a, been in an economic expansion for quite some time. But slide, slide 15 comes back to this concept of natural unemployment and the corresponding natural rate of unemployment. Uh, the level of unemployment that results when the rate of unemployment is normal considering both frictional and structural factors. Uh, it's always with us. Now, it's also related, the natural rate of unemployment is also related to this to the concept of potential output or potential real GDP. Here's the idea. There's an actual GDP. It's whatever GDP is. But there's this hypothetical concept called real uh, potential GDP. It's defined as what real GDP would be if unemployment is only uh, at the natural rate. So again, potential GDP is what GDP would be if we were only experiencing natural unemployment, in other words, uh, frictional and structural, and, and, and seasonal, all that's not uh, included here in this slide. In other words, we have zero cyclical unemployment. Now, actual GDP may equal potential GDP if we, we have only natural unemployment. In fact, the natural unemployment rate in the United States, it's it's hard to define because it is it is a, a concept rather than a, a definitive number, but it's often thought in recent years that the natural unemployment rate in the United States is probably around five percent. We we can't we haven't been able to sustain unemployment rates below that. Even when our economy is growing fast and creating lots of jobs, we still have about five percent unemployment. So if the natural unemployment rate is indeed five percent, and that's what it actually is currently, then right now potential real GDP equals actual GDP. But if there is a difference between the two, we define that as the GDP gap. So during recessions, we have a GDP gap. If you just go back to slide 
five for a minute. And I'm there. During these contractions, if when the unemployment rate is going up during contractions, if the unemployment rate gets up six, seven percent, we obviously would have a GDP gap, which is defined as the cost the cost of unemployment. Uh, well, that's like that that pretty much finishes finishes us up with unemployment. Now let's move on to inflation. Now inflation is is uh, by definition an increase in the average price level an increase in the average level of price it's not the increase in the price of a single good or even a couple goods but it's a it's a persistent increase in the general level of prices and by the general level of prices we mean some kind of average well how do we average how do we measure average prices well, we measure average prices with price indexes. Popularly, we use often we use the CPI. Uh, we could also use the GDP price index. And we, you've all heard of the consumer price index, but by definition, changes in the consumer price index measures inflation. Uh, now, un you know, and we'll, there are some problems. Uh, uh, you know, I think you, I think you know how to calculate percentage changes. So, for example, if you are, if you are given, uh, uh, I'm just wondering. Maybe, maybe we ought to look in the books. I got a feeling I do this in class, but some students struggle with calculating percentage changes. If there is example in the end of chapter ten, let me look real quick. Uh, well, let's just make up some numbers on our own. If you had a piece of paper, there's no slide on this, but if you have a piece of paper, write down the following. Let's say that in, in three columns, in one column the heading is year, the next column is going to be the CPI. Okay? Let's say year, the first year we list column one is 2005, and in 2005, let's say the CPI is 1.1 is or 110%. And the CPI in 2006, let's say it, it's, it's December of these years. December 2005, the CPI is 110. In December 2006, it's 121. So we see, according to the CPI, that prices have risen. But the inflation rate is, is, is the, the percentage change in the price index. How would you calculate that percentage change? Well, you would take how much the price index changes, which is 121 minus 110, divided by what the price index started at, 110, to convert that to a percent, you multiply by 100. And that would tell you how, in percentage terms, how much the price index changed. So 121 minus 110 divided by 110 equals, and multiply by 100%, multiply by 100 equals 10%. So the inflation rate, put that in the third column, the inflation rate, between 2005 and 2006, in my example, was 10%. Uh, that's how you calculate inflation. Well, what are the costs of inflation? Uh, let's work another little example. Unlike unemployment, which is obviously bad for the people who are unemployed, inflation is not a necessary... 
it's not so obvious why inflation is bad because wages are also measured in prices and so if they're if 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 we're experiencing inflation anything measured in dollars uh, inflates and goes up because a given dollar will buy less in fact on page 177 uh, at the top of that it gives you a, a little uh, equation that shows you the real value of the dollar is the inverse of the price level. In other words, they move in opposite directions. As the price level goes up, a given dollar will buy less. If wages are increasing at the same rate as inflation, well, you're not necessarily worse off. Uh, but there are some problems with inflation. And let's work another example. Let's say that you go out and you borrow a hundred dollars on January 1st, 2006. You may want to write these numbers down as we go through this. You borrow a hundred dollars on January 1st, 2006 at 10% for one year. And so you'll have to pay back a hundred and ten dollars on December 31st, 2006. So you borrow a hundred at the first of the year at 10%, so you have to pay back the principal plus the $10 of interest at the end of the year. Now let's further assume that the CPI at the beginning of the year when you borrowed the dollars was 1 or 100%. When you pay the loan back at the end of the year, let's say that the CPI is 115% or 1.15. First, how much of price has gone up during the year? If the CPI started at 1 and ends up at 1.15, it's easy to see that prices have increased 15%. You tell me, the fact that during the year you had this $100, prices went up 15%, which would buy more? The $100 you borrowed or the $100 you paid back at the end, excuse me, the $100 you borrowed or the $110 you paid back at the end of the year? Uh, well, $100 you borrowed would buy more than the $110 you paid back. You only paid back 10% more dollars, but prices went up 15%. In real terms, it, it didn't cost you anything to borrow these money, this money, which brings up the concept of the real interest rate, which is illustrated in slides. Let's get back to the slides, which is illustrated in slide 19 defines the nominal interest rate as the observed rate. The nominal rate, if uh, the nominal rate I, if you subtract inflation, we get the real interest rate. So the real interest rate equals the nominal minus inflation. In my little example, I give you I is 10%. Inflation was 15%, which gives rise to a real interest rate of minus 5%. Now, if this inflation was unexpected, and it had to have been in my example, nobody, ra no rational person would have lent the money at 10% if they expected prices to increase 15%, because they would realize that they're getting paid back in dollars that would buy less than the dollars they gave you a, a year earlier. But let's say that this person, uh, both the borrower and the lender in our example, thought the inflation rate was going to be uh, something less. They thought it was going to be 5%, but it turns out to be 15%. Who got hurt? by this unexpected inflation. Unexpected inflation will drive the real interest rate after uh, after the fact. The real interest rate will be less than what you anticipated. So 
unexpected inflation will hurt the creditor or the lender help the borrower or the debtor. Uh, well, types of inflation. We'll, we'll, in a later chapter, after we talk about the Federal Reserve, we'll be in a much better position to know what causes inflation. But we, this isn't really, we're not really in great detail explaining the cause of inflation. We're just giving some names to some types of inflation. Demand pull inflation is caused by increases in demand outpacing supply. So there's just lots of demand for whatever reason. We'll see later that may come because of the Fed creating too much money. Cost push inflation is is like what we see with oil prices going up. In fact, it was just announced this morning that the CPI increased at a rather rapid annual rate. I heard it on the news just this morning because of oil prices going up so rapidly. Uh, this would be an example of cost push inflation. And the, the, the term hyperinflation just uh, reflects the fact that in some nations uh, you'll get inflation of a thousand percent a day. And in fact, this next, uh, the, well, I thought it was a slide that gave that. Yeah, slide slide 24 uh, shows you some examples of, uh, it's, it's slide, sorry, slide 25 gives you some examples of hyperinflation uh, during different periods of time. Well, I think that's about it. Uh, a pretty straightforward chapter. There, on those, I know the quiz isn't as easy because uh, there are some computational questions, but I think if you uh, spend a little time on it, you'll, you'll be able to digest the material in this chapter quite nicely. If you have have questions on the quiz, uh, email them to me, and uh, I think we'll, we'll leave it at that. Uh, enjoy. Bye-bye.